Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Yeah, that's pretty good, huh? Just give God some praise. Like, just let it out. Just let it, let it out. You guys can can be seated as maybe hard as it is right now. As you feel just the energy and spirit wailing up in you, man, it's, it's good. It's good. It's good to be able to worship. It's good to be able to just come together, whether you're in the room or whether you're watching online. And man, you'd think standing up here now, I'd be a little bit more comfortable because I've already preached what I'm about to preach one time. And you would think kind of getting one under your belt would kind of calm you and settle your spirit. But like, I'm nervous today because the, the weight and reality of standing on this platform and preaching the gospel is so real. It, sometimes that weight feels like, if I'm honest, it feels like it's going to crush me. Because there's a lot of mistakes that we can make in life. But if the mistake we make is misunderstanding the gospel, the consequences of that are eternal. That is the, that's the one thing we can't get wrong. Misunderstanding the gospel is the, is the one thing we cannot afford to get wrong because misunderstanding the gospel is the thing that has eternal consequence. And then for some reason, God chose me to be the one to stand up here and preach it to folks. And I'm like, God, why? And especially today, because today might be one of the most important messages I have ever and will ever preach. And I'm so afraid I'm gonna say it wrong. And I feel the weight of that. And man, when I'm reading through this letter that we're walking through together, Galatians, I'm getting a better understanding of Paul's heart. Because what Paul did is he went around and he, he was a church planner, so automatically there's a part of me that can relate to that, that he would go into these communities and he would tell people about Jesus and that would be the thing that united them, that the one common thing they had was Christ. And although they came from different backgrounds and had different personalities and different upbringings that the gospel was enough to bring them together and create unity in this body of Christ. And, and I can relate to that because over the last 12 years or so, that's what I've got to experience as the lead pastor of Venice Church. But I also know that what it's like to, to feel the pressure of saying, you know, no, wait a minute, like what I see happening in your lives isn't aligning with the gospel that I gave you. And he writes this letter in Galatians, not driven or motivated by anger, but out of deep concern, knowing that if this group of people that I love, if they don't fully understand the gospel, if they let anything or anybody cause them to drift away from its true, plain and simple form, the repercussions 
are so dangerous and I don't even think they understand how dangerous they are. And so he begins, since he can't get to them and he can't get an audience in front of them, he, he puts pen to paper and he writes this letter in hopes that it'll draw them back in. And what he's about to say is he writes these words in what we know as chapters three and four. Like it just hit me preparing this week of how important it is that we get this. That what he's trying to help them understand, that they really, they really get it. And it, it's important that, that we get it too. And my biggest fear is that I'm not gonna say it right. But I'm also reminded that it's not up to me. So will you bow one more time for prayer? Pray for your ears and my mouth. <laughs> um, God, thank you that I get to stand in front of this church again. And God, I wanna, God, I wanna say the right things today. I want to express the power of the gospel, what it means for us and in us and through us in a way that's true to what you mean it to be. So God, take over my body, my heart, my mind, my mouth. Let every word I say be in perfect alignment with your word. Be in the hearts and ears of those listening today to receive it properly so that you might be glorified and so that we might be changed. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said together, amen, amen, amen. Grab your Bible and go to Galatians chapter three because that's where we're gonna be kind of leaning into today, Galatians chapter three. We've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the church the churches around this little community of Galatia, and, and he's tried to help them to understand that, hey, I know these people keep coming up to you and trying to convince you that it's a Jesus plus type situation, that they're trying to convince you in order for you to know God and belong to us. Yeah, you need Jesus, but you also gotta jump through our hoops. Don't y'all love my colorful hoops? It's much better than week one. Amazon, thank you very much. That it's, it's this Jesus plus gospel. And he's trying to say, no, that's not what I taught you. That's not what you heard from me. And that's not what God intended. That there is no hoops that you can jump through in order to deal with your sin. That nothing you could ever do in and of yourself will make you right with God. I don't care, I don't care if you have one hoop, two hoops, or, or 10 million hoops. That you can never jump through enough hoops or the right hoops to deal with what's broken in you. To deal with the thing that is separating you from God. But the good news is, I did enough. That when Jesus made the decision to leap out of heaven and come to this earth and live the perfect sinless life and to be sacrificed not for his sin, but for our sin because he didn't have any. When he paid that debt, that in and of itself, that and only that is what you need to look at, believe in, and trust in to be made right with God. No more, no less. And if you've got anybody else among you that telling you that you gotta have Jesus and anything else to be made right with God, that, that's not the gospel. And he's trying to convince them that this new life in Christ is not about jumping through hoops, it's about living by faith. 
the last things that he would say in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. It says, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That this new life isn't through rules, it's by faith. And you're gonna see those words or, or, or a version of those words littered all throughout Paul's writings, but especially through Galatians. It is by faith that we come to Jesus and walk with Jesus and live in Jesus. But the problem was it wasn't just the reality that people were saying that you got to jump through hoops to get to God. Because then the question we have to wrestle with is, all right, what about on the other side of salvation? Because maybe we can believe, like, I don't have to jump through a hoop to get to God, but once I'm with God, to stay with him, to live in him, are hoops necessary? That I'm not saved through hoops but perhaps I'm sustained by them. And that's what begins to, to be bred in this culture is, is, okay, not only are they saying, do you have to have a hoop to get to God on the other side of it in order to prove that you love God, you also have to jump through our hoops. And Paul is frustrated by this. And he watches them start to buy into this mentality. And now what he's about to say in chapter three, it's gonna sound like anger. But have you ever been like so worried about somebody it comes out like anger? Like you see your child about to do something stupid, like what are you about to do? You know what I'm saying? And it feels, it feels, they're like, they feel like you're mad at them, but it's just kind of, I see a lot of moms going, mm-hmm. You, you're 44, but you still, mm-hmm. That's how my mom's looking at me right now, like, Yep. So what he's about to say is gonna feel like anger, but it's like, to me, no, I don't think it's anger. I think it's a deep level of concern because he believes, like I do, that if you misunderstand the gospel and if you weigh it down or water it down, if you turn the gospel into anything other than God intended it to be, it is quite dangerous. Come on, somebody. So he says, you foolish Galatians. Told you it was gonna sound angry. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Like, you, you knew this. Like, I made it very clear. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Like, let's, let's, let's walk it back. Did you get what you have through you doing something, or did you get it by faith? Did that salvation that was, came to you, did it come through believing in and looking to and trusting in the finished work of Jesus, or did you have some role in that? Because I think we've already clarified this, that he did it all, and you looking to it, believing in it, trusting in it by faith is what's bringing you into right relationship with God. So, verse three, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means 
of the flesh. Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? He says, are you so foolish? Like, you, did, you didn't start this? You, you didn't earn this through the flesh? What makes you think you can finish with the flesh? The Spirit is what brought you to faith. The Spirit is what changed your life. Why, so now why do you think it, it wasn't up to you or through you, but now you're living like it's up to you? You, you didn't jump through a hoop to get here, but now you're convinced you gotta keep jumping through everybody's hoops to stay here. Anybody ever feel like that was your life? No, you don't have to get through a hoop to know Jesus, but after you get saved, it's now all it is is a bunch of hoops on the other side. Anybody grow up like that? Then no, 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 you, <laughs> on the uh, yeah, you're now saved. Now, now, this is what it looks like to live a saved life. And it's not stuff that came out of here. It's stuff that came out of here. Come on, I'm preaching. Come on. That somebody, you grew up, and, you, and you, they said, now you need to believe in Jesus for your salvation, the finished work of Christ. He died on, your, on, on the cross for your sins. And now, if you mow grass on Sunday, you will go to hell. Some of y'all laugh because it's like, that was me. I wouldn't even put gas in the John Deere on Saturday just so I wasn't tempted. <laughs> and see, some, some of us, see, on the other side of salvation, there are things that God wants to do in our lives. I deeply believe in the concept of holiness. I've said throughout this entire series, when, when we meet Jesus and Jesus comes into our heart, things do begin to change. But I lived, and some of us grew up in this that holiness was all dependent on the right hoops. That the way to holy was if you could jump through the most hoops, you was holy. Somebody, can somebody relate, testify, come on. And what's funny is like the hoops kept changing and they, much, they seem like cultural things, not biblical things. That it, for, this is what holiness looks like. Holiness looks like what you wear. Holiness looks like this. There was a certain image that holiness looked like. And what we have begun to do is on the other side of salvation, convinced ourselves that now until the day we die, we have to keep jumping through these hoops or God's gonna be mad. And that's what's starting to happen in this Galatian church. And Paul is furious about it. Because it's like, okay, you didn't have to do any of these things to earn it. Now on the other side, you're just becoming a slave to something new. And they start bringing in, and for them, it wasn't our cultural things. It was those, that law of the Old Testament. See, we, all, we got the Southern Christian law. We don't got the Old Testament law. We got the, the Southern Christian law. And I could go around the room and we could all make a list of, what, of the do's and don'ts of Southern Christianity. And you did this and you didn't do this and you did this and you didn't do this and this is what it meant to, to know Jesus, love Jesus and to claim that you'll be saved. And if you didn't do all of it, there were certain people that said, no, you're not going to heaven. And see, back then it was just like, all right, we're trying to keep the law, the law, the law, the law. And Paul says, let's, let's walk it back a little bit. 
Because you remember, this whole thing came out of lineage to a guy named Abraham whom God made a promise to. Abraham was the father of this. Before there was Moses, there was Abraham. But have you ever noticed what God said about Abraham? Paul reminds them. Verse 6. says, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That Abraham believed God. Didn't jump through a hoop. Said Abraham believed God. God. You know what's interesting? Abraham was credited as righteous and he never kept any of the law. You know how I know that? Because the law was written 430 years after he existed. So the, the father of this thing, God calls him righteous by faith. Not through, he, ne- he never had a chance to fail at keeping the law because it was 430 years later. From, from the beginning that God has intended this thing to come to us and be sustained in us by faith. Verse seven. So understand then that those who have faith, not those who jump through hoops, those who have faith are children of God. See, scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. That y'all, before this law ever even existed, God was saying the pathway to him would be through faith, by faith. So verse nine. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Like Paul is trying to say from the onset that somewhere along the way when God introduced the law, the law started to draw us away from what God had promised to Abraham in the beginning. That before the law was even given, that he had made it very clear that the benefits that would come through him would be driven by faith. That it is through faith we are saved and through faith we are sustained. That we don't get to God through the hoop and we don't stay connected to God through another hoop. It is by faith. And then so that began to ask the question, well, well, why do we even have this law thing? Why, why, why is it even there? And Paul starts to unpack it. Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. See, Paul is trying to continue to draw them back to look at, focus on, keep their eyes fixed on the finished work of Jesus Christ. But then he reminds us, verse 21, is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, 
then righteousness would certainly have come by the law, but scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Then he unpacks it a little more, verse 24. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come. We no longer, we're no longer under a guardian. So you're thinking, all right, Matt, what, what does all that mean? That the law had the power to reveal the gap. The law showed the gap between our brokenness and his holiness. The law was able to help us to see who we are versus who we are. The law revealed the gap, but the law could not close it. The law pointed to a gap that only Christ could erase. The law never had the power to close the gap between us and God. It just helped us see that there was one. Y'all with me? It helped us see that there was one. The way that he would say it to the Roman church, Romans 3.20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, the law, like rather through the law, we become conscious of our sin. It helps us see that, that there is something broken in us. There is something present in us that's keeping us from a right relationship with God, and we can't do anything about it. And the solution is found only in Christ, as he would say in Galatians chapter 4, But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit also calls out, Abba, Father. See, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has made you also his heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? See what he's saying? He's saying, no, see, Jesus closed the gap. And see, for so many of us, we have taken the gospel and we have bought into that reality of, no, I know that I don't get to God through a hoop. I know that it's not through a hoop that I get salvation, that I find my trust in him. But somewhere along the way, we've convinced that, yeah, we don't get to him through a hoop. But to stay close to him, we've got to keep jumping through hoops. See, what, what you think happens on the other side of salvation matters. And we tend to fall in one of two really dangerous camps. Some of us have bought into what I call the skip and dip gospel. Y'all heard me talk about that? That we believe it's all about a skip and a dip. You skip down to an altar, you pray one prayer, you get dipped in a baptismal pool, and then that's it, and then you go do whatever you want to do. And almost as if we believe that we can skip and dip, then live like hell and expect to go to heaven. Or some of us on the other side think that now God has given us this gift 
And now we've got this mean, angry God on the other side saying, all right, I gave it to you, but you make one wrong move and I'll take it right back. And we think the other side is I've got to live in absolute perfection or I'm going to lose what God has given me. Come on. And I would submit to you that I don't think either are right. That no, when when we accept Jesus on the other side, things should change. Things are gonna change. That God working in and through our lives is gonna produce something that's no longer who we were. That when you accept Jesus, he changes you from the inside out. But I also think that we don't have this big angry God that's just looking and waiting for us to mess up and rip our salvation from our hands if we do. And see, I, I fell in that second camp most of my life. Believing that, yeah, what, what God did for me on the cross was free and I couldn't earn my salvation, but now, man, I gotta prove it. Not just to God, but I gotta prove it to everybody else. And I believe that the more hoops I would jump through and the more consistently I jumped through those hoops, the holier I was. And it led to this personal, what I call sin management. That it was all up to me to work really hard and say all the right things and do all the right things. And then you add to the fact I was a preacher's kid too. You know what they say about preacher's kids? We're all perfect angels. And so what ends up being is most of my life, if if I'm honest, if I would describe it, it was more what I would call guilt-driven compliance. That was the other side of my salvation. It was just, all right, comply, follow the rules, do all the right things, say all the right things, look the right way, make all the right decisions, because if you don't, God's going to be mad at you. And so I would mess up, and I would just be overwhelmed by guilt. And it was that guilt that would draw me back to compliance. That what I discovered was I wasn't, I wasn't living from my heart. I wasn't living from a desire for his word. I was living from, like, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> that was the, That was it. And see, if, if compliance was all that God desired, then a lot of people could do it. Remember, Jesus has an encounter with somebody that was really good at complying. Matthew chapter 19 says, just then, a man came to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? That right there. Like, Jesus, tell me what to do. And Paul's trying to say, no, it ain't about what you do. They said, what do, what do I do to get what I want? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired, as if Jesus was gonna say, whichever. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that guy says, I've done all that. All these I've kept. But I know there's something missing. Jesus, I have complied. Everything you just listed, I've done it. I've done it. I've I've been the good little Christian boy. I've been the good little churchgoer. I jumped through all the hoops. But I can tell there's something missing. 
Jesus answered, if you wanna be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away because he had great wealth. And see, what that revealed was there was something not right in his heart. That everything he had been doing was not because he loved God and wanted to honor God, but because he just wanted to get what he wanted. And so many of us, that's how we live our lives, that we're good at complying. We're good at jumping through the hoops and following the rules. Not because we love God, not because we want relationship with him, but because we feel guilty if we don't. And at some point in my life, guilt kind of guilt-driven compliance moved to more of a fear-driven obedience. That I, I could do all the right things. I grew up in the church, man. I, I, I know at this point, I knew it all. I knew what to say. I, I knew how to say the right things. I knew, dude, I was the Michael Jordan of playing Christian. Like I could do it. I could play that role really, really well. But again, it was out of fear. It was out of what will other people think if I, I I'm not gonna do that thing just because I'm worried about what other people think not concerned about what it might do to my relationship with God, but just this is what I'm supposed to do. It even carried into a good portion of my life as a pastor. It's because this is what people expect of me and I'm afraid of what's gonna happen if I don't do these things. And you read stuff like what Paul wrote to the Roman church in Romans 8, which y'all know is my favorite chapter in all the Bible. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And listen to this. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That it's, all, it's almost like, okay, I, didn't, I don't have to follow all these rules to get saved, but once I get saved, it's all about following the rules. It's all about being perfect so that the free gift I got doesn't get snatched away. But I don't think Jesus died to save us from our past, only to put us in a new prison. I don't think Jesus died to save us from our past, only to to put us in a new, see, when you you are living out of fear-driven obedience or guilt-driven compliance, the result is legalism. And neither one of those things are what God really wants from us. Don't hear what I'm not saying. (laughs) It's not that on the other side of our salvation there isn't a beautiful way that God wants to see that play out in our lives. But we are not saved or sustained by what we do. And what he is looking for is not fear-driven obedience or guilt-driven compliance. What he desires more than anything is a love-driven relationship. A love-driven relationship. And when you live in a love-driven relationship with Jesus, it is the most beautiful and life-changing thing you will ever do. Come on, somebody. Aiden, come up here for a second. Nothing has taught me more or helped me understand more about God than being a father. And I know not everybody gets that, but... Nothing has taught me about unconditional love or the kind of relationship that God desires 
with me than when this young man and his sister entered the world. And his sister, I'd invite her up here, but she'll run out of the room. (laughs) And I don't ever want him to be with me out of obligation. I don't ever want him to spend time with me because he feels like if he doesn't, I'm gonna be mad at him. I want him to love me. And can you imagine if I looked at him and said, Aiden, here, here, man, here's a, here's a free gift. And I give it to you. Not because you've earned it, not because you've done anything for it, not because you're handsome just like me and your shoe game is fire. <laughs> but simply because I love you and this gift I'm giving you, there's nothing that you could have ever done to earn my love. Like, it's just what I have for you. But then imagine how I would feel if he took that gift, received it, and then decided from then on on out he never wanted anything to do with me. And he lived the rest of his days just constantly trying to put distance between he and I. I wouldn't be mad, I'd be heartbroken because he's my son and I love him. Or imagine if I said, Aiden, here is this free gift and there's nothing you did to earn it and I freely give it to you, but I'm watching and you make one wrong move, I'm gonna take it. And so many of us live, that's the way God looks at us, right? Come on. That's the kind of father we see him as, is he's given us this free gift, and it's like now he's just looming over saying, make one wrong move, boy, I'm gonna take it. You might be as tall as me now, that's why I'm keeping you down that platform, because I'm. (laughs) And then he made one wrong move, and I just said, ha! I knew it! And I just snatched that out of his hand. But the reality is, yeah, I gave it to him freely. And there's probably gonna come a time when he makes a mistake. And what I hope he does in that moment is he looks at me and says, Dad, I messed up. And I say, I know, son, I knew you would. And he says, Dad, I'm sorry. And you know what I'm gonna say back? I forgive you, I love you and I'm with you. And this is gonna be so much better for you if you just let me stay close. And when you're scared, you look at me. When you're confused, you look at me. And if he says, Dad, what do you want from me? You know what I'm saying? Same thing your Heavenly Father says, I want you to love me. I just want you to love me. I've already proven that I love you because I did everything necessary so that we could have a relationship. And my hope is that from this day forward, we do this thing together, arm in arm, hand in hand, me and you and you and me. I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I will give you everything you need. That's the gospel. I love you. What does God want from you? Love. On the other side of salvation, what God desires is for you and him to live in an authentic love relationship. That's at the heart of what Jesus was trying to say in that greatest commandment, Matthew 22. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? What's the, what's the best hoop, God? 
And Jesus replied, love me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love me. You love me. You fall. I don't expect you to live perfectly. But what I want is for you to trust me completely and love me deeply. And if you trust me completely and love me deeply, it'll be all right. So you bow your head, close your eyes for just a second. You didn't do anything to earn it. And you can't jump through enough hoops to keep it. What he's looking for is an authentic love relationship with his son and daughter. He wants you to return his love with yours. He's not looking for guilt-driven compliance or fear-driven obedience. He's looking for a love-driven relationship. So choose that, live in that, walk in that, receive that. Let him love you, love him back, spend time with him, keep looking to him, focus on him by faith, trust him completely, love him deeply, and watch what happens in your life. Father, thank you for the relationship that we get to have with you, the relationship, God, that changes everything. God, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. Give him a shout of praise this morning. Yeah. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today, whether you're online or in the room. Let us know how we can come alongside you. Hit that respond tab on our app. We would love to come alongside you. We hope you have an amazing week. We'll see you next time. Give God some glory on your way out. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.